You are listening to the Missions History Podcast, brought to you by the International Mission Board, where we remember the past to inspire the future. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Welcome to Missions History Podcast. I'm David Brady, and my co-host is... Scott Peterson. We are excited to welcome to the podcast Dr. Al James. Uh, Dr. James is a professor of missions at Southeastern. He also serves uh, an administrative role, and he works with the Equip Network. Um, Dr. James uh, has years of experience on the mission field, and also uh, today the topic that we'll be discussing uh, is some writing that Dr. James did many years ago uh, in his dissertation uh, on one of the early leaders of what was then called the Foreign Mission Board, and we'll be introducing that man in just a minute. But first, let me just welcome Dr. James to the podcast. Dr. James, how are you doing today? Doing fine, David. Thank you for this opportunity to share a little bit about Southern Baptist Missions history. Oh, thank you. And um, to introduce the uh, the the topic for today, um, in the early years, the leader of our Foreign Mission Board was called the Corresponding Secretary. And before we tell who we're talking about today, Dr. James, why was why was that the term? Why would you call a person a Corresponding Secretary? Well, that's a very good question. It was actually used to refer to the Chief Executive Officer of the Board, uh, although now we would say President of the Board, and so it's the same position. But one of the things that the administrator had to do was correspond. He had to correspond with the missionaries. He had to correspond with the uh, the people in the U.S. and uh, key leaders, key pastors, and and so there was a lot of correspondence that took place. And so that's part of where the term would come from. Yeah, and you know it's it's amazing to think um, of how many letters and handwritten letters. Um, that these early, the first two secretaries would have have pinned. I know sometimes they would have secretaries that they could dictate to, but still the correspondence was uh, voluminous and um, it was really an an ongoing job just to kind of keep up, like like you said, with the missionaries, the back and forth, and then also with um, Southern Baptists here in the South. The first corresponding secretary that we had was named James Taylor, not the musical one, but James Barnett Taylor. And uh, the second corresponding secretary uh, was a man by the name of Henry Allen Tupper Sr. And that's who Dr. James has done um, a lot of research into his life and and written a very fine dissertation. And so, uh, Dr. James, as we begin to talk about H.A. Tupper Uh, Could you tell us just a little bit about his background, where he was from, and uh, sort of uh, his upbringing? Well, he was certainly a man of the South. He was proud to call Charleston his home. Uh, His family was extremely active in the church scene at First Baptist Church of Charleston. Matter of fact, at one time in the uh, church itself, they had four murals, and one of those was of... um, Henry Allen Tupper's father. And so his father was very active in the church, a key leader. He was a very prominent businessman as well. Uh, One of the things that he wanted for his son was to make sure that his son understood the business world. And so he made him actually drop out of school for a while 
so that he could learn to become a bookkeeper. And he wouldn't let him return back to war, uh, back to school until he had mastered the task of being a bookkeeper. And it was interesting because years later, when he becomes the corresponding secretary for the Farm Mission Board, that skill, not that he actually kept the books, but the fact that he understood business, that he understood um, <clears throat> how the uh, business world worked, uh, ended up being a very important thing for him. Now, as I said, he was definitely a, a person of Charleston. Uh, he loved Charleston, and it was a very important place for him. Uh, the church itself, um, he grew up in it, had been going there all of his life, but he was a little bit late in making a profession of faith, or maybe later than some would have been. And they were having a revival, and uh, Richard Fuller was there for preaching a, a five-week revival. Now we we struggle to have a two-day or three-day revival, but uh, they were actually having a five-week revival. And uh, during the process of this revival, they spoke to, uh, and he went by Alan Tupper uh, as he was growing up, and so they spoke to him, and he was kind of offended that they would uh, talk to him about that and they were, uh, the preacher and the pastor and Dr. Fuller were pretty straightforward with him. And they said, you know, basically that he would, uh, be going to hell. Yeah. And so, uh, he was offended by that. They gave him something to read and he was offended that they gave him a document to read. And, uh, he, he reluctantly though read it, was under conviction, still was upset about it. Uh, there's there's two other people that factor into this, though, and one of them would be Nancy Boyce and her brother, James P. Boyce. Now, many of the listeners of this podcast will probably recognize the name of James P. Boyce because he eventually will be one of the uh, founding professors of the Southern Baptist Seminary. And, of course, it started in, in Greenville and uh, then eventually moved to Louisville. Uh, but James P. Boyce and Alan Tupper were very close friends, and uh, Nancy, uh, James's uh, sister, uh, was more mature than both of them about spiritual things. There's no doubt about that. And uh, she actually spoke to Alan Tupper about becoming a Christian as well, and he finally made that commitment and made his profession of faith uh, during that long revival series. And then when his friend, James P. Boyce, returned back from a trip, uh, Alan Tupper and Nancy, who, uh, well, I'll go ahead and say, becomes uh, Alan Tupper's wife, and he usually called her Nanny. Nanny, So Nanny and Alan Tupper spoke to uh, James as soon as he got back from his trip and basically led him to the Lord. And uh, both of those men were baptized at the same time. And out of that revival meeting, there were about 500 people that made professions of faith. And uh, so that was a great time of awakening for the yes. church. And it was a special time for Alan and his good friend, James Boyce. Well, before we continue talking about um, Tupper, you've kind of set the stage. I mean, he's born in what, I think like 1828. Is that right? 
Uh, yes, sir. I think uh, on February the 29th. Okay, so mm-hmm. it, all of this is um, pre-Civil War. I think uh, his conversion happens around the time that the Southern Baptist Convention is uh, being birthed, around 1845, somewhere in there. And um, but this is my 46. Okay, so this is my this is my question, Doctor James. Uh, you you come along in the 1980s, um, over a hundred years later, uh, and you're trying to find research. And I, I think the thing that amazes me is you did this in a pre-internet uh, uh, age, and so you were literally having to go all around looking for these materials. Would you describe that process of trying to research uh, the life and contributions of Henry Allen Tupper? Let me start by saying why I chose Henry Allen Tupper. Uh, When I was a doctoral student at New Orleans Seminary, my major professor, Dr. Claude Howe, had to be out for several weeks, and I had to just take over his classes. And I was actually... Uh, given a lecture over this time period in Southern Baptist class, and I was actually terrified that some student would want to try to trip up the doctoral student and ask some bizarre question. Right. <laughs> and I had a big reference to Henry Allen Tupper in my notes, but I go, I don't know anything about him except what I these two or three sentences. And so I started doing a little bit of research and just kept coming up short. And so when my major professor, Dr. Howe, came back, I talked to him, and his first response to me was, well, I don't know that you're going to find enough of materials to write a dissertation, but if you want to try, go for it. And so that's what I did, and what I found was that it was a very difficult process to locate materials, but um, thanks to Edie Jeter and the staff in the archives of the uh at that time, the Foreign Mission Board, now IMB, uh, uh, hit a gold mine, went through all of those materials. <clears throat> but on top of it, I, I visited many other libraries. I think it was in 10 different libraries. Uh, tracked down uh, the two churches that he served and contacted them. And the first one, Graniteville, South Carolina, their records had been destroyed. But some of the records at Washington uh, First Baptist Church in Georgia, I was able to visit there and uh, go through their records. And so that was very helpful going through their uh, minutes and so forth. Then I was able to um, uh, track down his great, great granddaughter and contacted her in Atlanta, Georgia. And she agreed to let me come and uh, see what she still had available. And I made copies of everything she had. Unfortunately, there was a reference in multiple places to a diary, but I never did track down the diary. And it was kind of interesting that Dr. Tupper had requested that a biography not be written about him. And uh, so maybe I didn't honor that completely, but uh, <laughs> it was a long time later. But uh, uh, so we, yeah, for, we forgive you on his behalf. <laughs> yeah. And so it was quite an endeavor, and uh, it was kind of like a detective running everything down and, and uh, had a great time. And when it was all said and done, 
instead of having a uh, a lack of information, I had boxes and boxes of uh, material that I had to decide what to use and what not to use. And so it was a very interesting time and thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, uh, it was part detective work and certainly a fun historical experience for me. You know, just to kind of go back what you were saying about setting the stage. So in the uh, pre-war South and not just in the South, sort of the one of the key commercial centers, Charleston, um, uh, his father, Tristam, a very uh, prominent, uh, uh, wealthy family. And just to think about that Sunday school class he was growing up that um, uh, James Pettigrew Boyce was in his Sunday school class. They they knew another um, guy who had become a missionary, Bayfield Wilden. I mean, they, this was a pretty um, amazing group of people that he was growing up with there in uh, at First Baptist Church, Charleston. Certainly was, and <clears throat> excuse me, of course, they would have never had known how those connections were going to develop through the years, but uh, again, they were very important to them, not just because, again, in, in James P. Boyce's life, they become relatives as well, but just because of all those connections and the influence that both men, including the Weldon's for uh, missions, are going to have uh, in Southern Baptist life. So that was, uh, again, quite significant. And uh, uh, you just have to appreciate the the influence of uh, the First Baptist Church of Charleston and what it had there. The First Baptist Church in the South. Yeah. And, you know, um, thinking about this, um, you mentioned that he and J.P. Boyce become brother-in-laws, but not only brother-in-laws, they, they kind of maintain a lifelong correspondence, don't they? Yeah, they do, and uh, uh, yes, in many different levels, as a matter of fact, and uh, now most of that, honestly, was outside the scope of my dissertation, as, as I was trying to primarily focus on his missions emphasis and so forth, but uh, they certainly were very close. It was even interesting that in uh, 1848, the two men went off to uh, study at Madison University up in New York, and when they got there, they found out that uh, they were actually behind on uh, some Hebrew requirements, Right, and they were told that they had to catch up, and uh, yet there was only three weeks before school was starting, and and I hate to say it because James Boyce is the one that becomes the uh, famous professor. Boyce decided he wasn't up to that challenge, and he went on home. Right. Tupper actually hung in, met the requirement, and went on to uh, graduate from Madison University. And so that was kind of interesting. <laughs> yes. So, so and this, later, is, this is uh, well. Yes. Yeah. So, so anybody um, listening to this podcast, that was not a dig from a southeastern professor towards Southern. We're not saying that, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, <laughs> well, but uh, this southeastern alum takes it that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's it is um, it is interesting though. These men at that point, uh, both Boyce and Tupper, uh, they have to go to the north if they want a theological education. So um, Boyce ends up going to Princeton and uh, Tupper to 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 Madison, which later becomes Colgate. Um, but after that, he comes back to the south. Tell us a little bit about his pastoral ministry. 
Yes, uh, he received his degree in 1849, and uh, then he eventually he starts his first pastorate uh, down at the Graniteville uh, First Baptist Church, and uh, and again by this time he was married. He was married uh, in November 1st, 1849, and Nanny was noted for her piety and her zeal because of all the work that she did in the Sunday school work, benevolent and missionary work. Uh, I'm sure I will we'll come back to talk about Nanny uh, in other places as well, but uh, you just cannot overemphasize the impact uh that spiritually she had on mm. Henry Allen Tupper. Yes. Again, Crippington to his salvation, a wonderful pastor's wife that was greatly respected. And so they, they go to uh, this church, and, and again, in, in Graniteville, South Carolina, in January of 1850, and he'll remain there for uh, three years, and uh, he was ordained there um, and uh, or during that time. And uh, the church really couldn't pay much. Uh, fortunately, his father-in-law, now I've already made reference that the Tupper family was wealthy, uh, but to be honest, the wealth of the Tupper family uh, um, uh, was paled in comparison to the uh, wealth of the Boyce family. Right, And right. this is actually going to be important uh, uh, for Southern Seminary, and it's going to be important for the Farm Mission Board as well. Uh, but they actually had a home that they provided, that the Boyces provided for the Tuppers to live in. And uh, he actually said that uh, it was partly missionary and it was entirely gratuitous that they were uh, there working at the church. And um, it was during this time that he is also going to start uh, preaching to the African Americans every Sunday afternoon. Right. And that was an important part of uh, his ministry. And it's going to remain an important part of his ministry. And he, he loved his time there. Uh, it was a, a great time of uh, growing. Uh, then he was uh, called to the uh, First Baptist Church of Washington, Georgia. Okay, which is, which is not terribly far away from Graniteville, South Carolina, right? No, it's not. And uh, um, the church's founding uh, pastor was Jesse Mercer, uh, who started many churches in Georgia. I'm a, a native of Georgia, and so very familiar with him. And, uh, and of course, started uh, what is now Mercer University. And Dr. And so, James, when you when you said that, um, I didn't realize until reading your materials that actually Mercer, what would become Mercer, was located right near Washington, Georgia, in Penfield. Which and and uh, during the whole time of his uh, what nineteen years of ministry, uh, Tupper was uh, was actively involved in uh, that institution. Yes, he was actively involved with Mercer. I won't go into all of this, but he was also actively involved in the local association, and he was active in the uh, uh, state convention work as well. And so he he reflected denominational leadership uh, very well before he ever became the Farm Mission Board president and so our uh, correspondent secretary. Uh, 
Um, and it was interesting because uh, he had other connections to Washington. You know, most of us have connections to our uh, somebody's put your name in somewhere to help you get uh, started in your ministries. And um, James P. Boyce, his wife actually uh, came from Washington, and so they had that connection as well. And uh, I'm sure that that was an important part. Uh, and his pastor uh, from uh, First Baptist Church of Charleston had also served at the church in Washington as well. So he had multiple connections to this church, and uh, they they called him as pastor, and he made a grand total of $600 per year wow. uh, if they had enough money to pay him. <laughs> wow. So, it, and tell yeah. us about his he, missionary, what sort of the— the development of his missionary um, uh, awareness and promotion during his life, and he did some a lot of home mission emphasis. But but what were some of the things that began to develop in him during his long tenure as a pastor in Washington? Well, again, he comes from a mission minded church in Charleston, so that his he's always had this. Uh, a concern about Sunday school. He, so that was a part of it. He's uh, had exposure to missions and uh, and and a desire for missions. Uh, Why was at Washington? I make a statement and and I draw a quote here. Uh, as a pastor, Tupper was convinced that the great work of the church is missions. Right. And he actually struggled with the idea that maybe he was supposed to go to the foreign mission field. He was willing to go. He, he actually wanted to go. And he even visited with uh, James P. Taylor, the first corresponding uh, secretary of the foreign mission board, on two occasions. And they discussed about him going to Japan, which would have been a new work for the foreign mission board. Now, it's very interesting that years later, when he is the corresponding secretary, it's going to be during his administration that the work in Japan does actually start, but uh, Tupper actually proposed that he could go out and pay his own salary and pay his own way and everything because of his finances, and so he would not have been a burden to the the uh, the farm mission board. However, it was actually uh, he was told that it would be uh, better for him to stay in the U.S. instead to promote missions and to encourage other people to go out as missionaries. Now, one of the things that uh, Tupper did, um, he he actually helped bring some people together. Uh, singles uh, is a very well-known story that the uh, War Mission Board, during the uh, uh, Taylor administration, had appointed one single missionary, Harriet Baker, and and she went and she stayed for less than two years and returned back to the U.S. And obviously there's multiple factors that come into that. But because of her coming back, there were some people that thought, well, single missionaries, single female missionaries should not go to the field. We tried it. It didn't work. And so uh, it was decided that they would just not send out single female missionaries. Well, Tupper actually spoke to Dr. Taylor about this policy and 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 asked him to reconsider it and so forth, but it didn't change. 
And so since that policy didn't change, Tupper did make the second best thing. He, instead of having e-harmony, he had missionary harmony. And uh, uh, and so what he would do is kind of match up single guys with single women that felt called to missions, and many of them went on to the mission field. And one of the more um, famous examples of that would have been uh, uh, T.A. Reed and uh, his future wife, Mary. And uh, it was very interesting, and this is actually later in my dissertation, but uh, in that time, uh, Mary's mother was not a Christian, and she wasn't very happy about the idea that uh, her only daughter, uh, who would be able to take care of her later, was going off to the mission field. And so what they did was actually share the gospel with her mother. And after three days, Mary's mother, actually Cranfield, Mary Cranfield's mother, actually accepted the Lord as her Savior, agreed that it would be okay for her daughter to go to the mission field, and consented for the marriage all at the same time. Wow. Now, what is not well known about this is that um, Henry Allen Tupper actually paid for the salary for this family. Uh, to go, uh, this couple, to go to the mission field. And the annual salary, the amount was a certain, it was $600, but the additional amount that Tupper provided, he provided an extra $150 with the understanding that that would go to help Miss Miss Cranfield, Mary's mother. Uh, And he never wanted anybody to know about that, did not want the Reeds to know about it, did not want Mary's mother to know about it. And uh, so um, that just shows, again, he had a heart and a passion to get missionaries to the field. He he felt like churches should uh, uh, promote missions, and he felt like it was the pastor's role to lead in the promotion of missions. He felt like if the pastor didn't lead, that it wouldn't take place. Uh, in his association, the Georgia Baptist Association, uh, the other churches in the Georgia Baptist Association gave $1.11 per member for missions. At his church, the First Baptist Church of Washington, they gave $24.86 per member. Now, I know that a lot of that probably came from Tupper, but Tupper went out of his way to... Um, promote missions, and encourage everybody to give to missions. And he even brought in mission speakers to speak at his church so that they would hear the stories in the field and they would be challenged to give uh, to to the missionaries and uh, the support missions. And so that was a very important part. And you know, that's... Not only was he involved in that part, though, he continued to reach out to... Uh, again, the the uh, black community to the the African Americans, and he had a Sunday afternoon ministry to them, and he would have as many uh, he would average about seventy five every Sunday afternoon as he was uh, teaching and preaching to them, and he would encourage others to do a similar type ministry, and he would actually travel to other plantations. Uh, to conduct similar ministries. 
And so he kept out uh, being involved in, in home missions, even when he didn't have the opportunity to go uh, to the international field. Two things I think that really stand out and what you've you've been talking about, and one is that is the role of the pastor in promoting missions and leading the church uh, to support missions. And I think that's critical for our listeners to hear today um, that, you know, if a church is going to be involved in promoting missions and supporting missions, it starts with the leadership of that church, whether that be the pastors and the deacons or the elders or or whatever the leadership structure may be. But the other thing is concern for those people who need Christ here at home. Uh, you know, missions is not something we just do over there. Evangelism is not something that we have a heart for around the world, but it's also here at home. And I think, you know, he led by example in that way. So, Dr. James, as we, we've been talking about um, uh, Henry Allen Tupper's ministry, it's a, it's a long ministry there in Washington, uh, Georgia, um, but also his ministry uh, crosses over the time of the Civil War. So could you uh, just tell us about uh, Henry Allen Tupper's um, involvement in that conflict? Well, let me back up by saying, first of all, that Henry Allen Tupper had a great uh, desire to see the African-Americans evangelized. Uh, His church in uh, First Baptist Church of Charleston had this type of ministry. His family had been involved in that type of ministry, and so he carried forth that ministry into his pastorates. And so I would have to say, perhaps, I would say, unfortunately, uh, he represented the time period that he was uh, in in the South. And uh, and so he was a man of his time. He supported slavery. He also supported the, uh, uh, the succeeding from the uh, Union. And he was actually at Fort Sumter when it was fired upon. And so he had a strong connection to the Confederacy. And he actually served as a chaplain until his health declined. He supported the Confederacy financially, and, uh, and and so he he represented this time period like most of the pastors of the Deep South uh, did as well. And uh, so after after the Civil War, I mean, you mentioned in your um, work that um, financially, at least for a year or two, was it was really um, difficult for him. They sort of regained some some of their footing. But by 1871, um, the the first and only um, corresponding secretary of the Foreign Mission Board is in declining health. That's James Barnett Taylor, and he is um, they. The Foreign Mission Board begins to look for a successor. So tell us about uh, his entrance into that role as the second corresponding secretary. Yeah, the committee was looking for a pious and earnest friend of foreign missions, a popular, at least respectable speaking talents, discreet, industrious, of business habits, of financing skills, acquainted with the world, and large views, free of objections in all the sections among all parties, fitted to be a wise counselor to board, to make a favorable impression everywhere on behalf of foreign missions. That was what they were looking for. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I, I guess that job description could still hold true today. Right. And it was uh, interesting that they actually 
presented three men. Uh, the committee did a report, and then the board voted, and they had three names, William Hatcher of Virginia, Henry Allen Tupper of Georgia, I.T. Tichner of Tennessee, and uh, they didn't give a preference to the committee. They just gave all three names. The committee voted, and it was unanimous for Henry Allen Tupper, which is pretty amazing. And they, his starting salary was $2,000 a year. When we were talking about his early career, it was like listening to a who's who list of Baptist leaders in the South at that time. But as he transitions to become the corresponding secretary, and you look at the time, you read about the time, and just flipping through your your work, it, it appears to be a who's who of early Southern Baptist missionaries as well. And you've mentioned the I.T. Tishner, and I think we'll probably come around back around to a controversy that uh, arose between Tishner and Tupper. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the the work there at the Farm Mission Board and the people that he worked with, and he had actually recruited some to come as missionaries. Uh, yes, again, part of his job as the correspondent secretary was the recruiting of the missionaries. And so he corresponded with the missionaries and he, uh, the potential missionaries, and he would uh, uh, bring them through the process and uh, uh, help them get to the field, encourage them along the way. One of the stories and that I've actually used as a uh, preacher and talking about uh, missions was that uh, the story that is uh, recounted uh, that uh, a pastor in Texas was preaching and encouraging missions and was uh, uh, and calling out missionaries to come from his church. And when he offered the invitation, his own daughter actually came forward. And the story is said that he didn't mean for his own daughter, but the Lord did. And that uh, uh, missionary ended up was Ann and ended up going to Brazil and uh, being a very uh, important part of opening up the work in Brazil. And so we we see the influence of uh, pastors again preaching and calling out missionaries and Tupper again communicated with these missionaries and and uh, had to and sometimes deal with controversies of getting them even through that appointment process as well. Um, and there actually came a, a time of uh, discussion about views of the scripture that uh, actually created a little bit of a, a controversy for the board and how they worked through that. So tell us about um, probably the one of the most significant um, sort of shifts and contributions that Tupper makes. Uh, is in the realm of women missionaries, particularly single women missionaries, and also support by women here at home. Would you speak to us about that, Dr. James? Yes. As I previously mentioned, uh, Tupper felt like single women should be appointed, but they had not been. And after he became the correspondent secretary, he wanted to see that addressed. And so uh, they were looking for two women, or there ended up being two women that were interested in missions. One of them, there was kind of an easy way to uh, address it, and this was uh, Wilden as she was going to go out, but her uh, 
family, she already had family on the field. And so she was still kind of going to be under the man, so to speak, as she went out with her uh, uh, sister and her brother-in-law. And so that one was a little bit different. Uh, then uh, most everybody is going to be familiar with Lottie Mood, but it was Edmona, uh, Eddie, as they usually called her, that went out and uh, she was going on her own, so to speak. And so um, Tupper worked behind the scenes uh, there in Richmond to uh, raise her support and work with the women to uh, come up with that kind of support, to support uh, Eddie to go on out to the mission field. And so these two women were appointed at the same time. And so he was very important and influential to, one, be in favor of it, and two, working for the finances of it. And number three, I would say, even seeing the differences between the two ladies and knowing that it was important to set the second model with Edmona for Eddie to go out this way. Yes, and so this sort of begins a a very significant uh, trend uh, in Southern Baptist missions. And uh, so that's that's really a turning point that happens uh, under the life of um, of H. A. Tupper. Tell us a little bit, you know, here when when anytime we want to write about any of these early missionaries, uh, some of the compiled works that uh, Tupper uh, had uh, are very important. Just tell us a little bit about the writing ministry of H.A. Uh, Tupper. Well, he was a historian, for one thing. He loved history. He felt like if uh, the people of the Southern Baptist Convention understood their history, they would uh, not only appreciate it, but it would motivate them to do even more. And so he actually wrote extensive histories about uh, the uh, Foreign Mission Board, and as he uh, wrote these histories, he uh, he wrote two different works. One of them was the The first part of the history of the Foreign Mission Board during the uh, Taylor administration and massive work. And then a second volume was a decade of foreign missions that looked at from uh, 1880 to 1890. And uh, I'm actually holding it in my hand, but you can't see that. (laughs) I have an original copy, an original edition of that. Wow. And so he, he also wrote about the history of American Baptist missions total. And so he loved history, had a great appreciation for it. He also wrote uh, fictional works uh, dealing with controversial issues. And so he wrote uh, uh, a work entitled Truth in Romance, and, and this was actually dealing with the issue of uh, the inspiration of scripture and so forth. And, and he, he dealt with it in a dialogue that went back and forth between characters. And uh, I read all of that. I have a copy in my files. And so uh, very interesting. But again, uh, was just trying to deal with the uh, issues of the time. Uh, he also wrote a book about Jesus and he entitled it The Carpenter's Son. And uh, so those are some of his major writings. Dr. James, when you, um, as we're, we're starting to, to come to the conclusion, what would you say are some of the lasting uh, contributions of Henry Allen Tupper Sr.? 
As I think about Henry Allen Tupper, and I've said this to many folks, if if anybody could be called the father of the WMU, it would be Henry Allen Tupper. Now, let me quickly add that the WMU doesn't need a father, okay? The women <laughs> uh, were two women. They were excellent leaders. Yes. But what I'm trying to say is that Henry Allen Tupper he spoke at the Southern Baptist Convention about the role of women. He promoted women going out as single missionaries. He encouraged the formation of the state committees for organization. And he was just plugging and plugging away in the background, saying that women can do this. And women ought to be encouraged to go out on missions. They ought to be encouraged to give. He actually said about women, he said, not only are women equal in intelligence, but they're superior in their spiritual uh, development. And he thought they were uh, to be emulated, that they ought to be copied, that they were uh, great leaders. And so I would say that one of the great contributions of Dr. Tupper was the encouragement the supporter he was of women, and, uh, and and again, sometimes it was in the forefront, sometimes it's in the background, but that to me was maybe one of the most significant things. Again, I would say that the missionary force uh, over quadrupled during his time. They went into more fields of service during his time. Uh, and so those were all significant things. But to me, the most important thing was the shift and perspectives about women. And so to me, that was the most important thing that came out of his, uh, his time in ministry. Dr. James, that's a, that's a fabulous point, and I agree. And um, here in Richmond, um, you can go to Hollywood Cemetery and really all of the uh, presidents, uh, senior executives of the board are buried there. But but Tupper is uh, in a very unique place. He's a, a part of uh, the cemetery known as President's Circle. Um, he's right near um, uh, James Monroe and John Tyler. Um, and it's it just, you realize that he was a person who had the very same commitment um that uh, that we as Southern Baptists share today, but he was he was from a from a different era and from a different uh, um, part, a very sort of elite and wealthy part of society. Um, but he was a great leader. Um, I think his wife, uh, Nanny uh, Boyce Tupper, her death was a real blow to him, and I don't I don't think he seemed to recover from that. Is uh, not only did uh, Nanny die, uh, but Boy, uh, James P. Boyce died, and that was both very close together, and both of those were significant losses. He really did look to both of those uh, for spiritual insight and for other insights as well, and uh, that certainly led to his perhaps early retirement at the age of 65 uh, because his health was still good, but he uh, felt like it was time for him to retire. And uh, I think also the fact that T.P. Bell had just left, uh, and so he knew there was even going to be more responsibility on him. And at 65, he probably felt like he had done what he was there to do. 
and it was time for a transition. And even though the board unanimously elected him back as corresponding secretary, he refused. And uh, he stays in the Richmond area. He will actually end up teaching at the College of Richmond, uh, Richmond University or University of Richmond, and uh, and would teach languages there for approximately a decade, uh, even after his retirement. Dr. James, thank you so much for being our guest on Missions History Podcast. Thank you, and thank you for the invitation. All right. God bless. Um, For Missions History Podcast, I'm David Brady. And I'm Scott Peterson. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Missions History Podcast. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And check out more great content like this at imb.org.